March Madness 365 with Andy Katz is presented by Grammarly. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that gives your team an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. Grammarly works seamlessly across 500,000 apps and websites. Get personalized on-brand writing help everywhere your team works. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Welcome, everyone, to the latest edition of March Madness Men's Basketball. I'm your host, Andy Katz. And on this edition of our show, we're going to look at the National Player of the Year race. The Naismith Award, Wooden, Oscar Robertson, Sporting News, AP, Rupp. I'm a little bit more... Pre- preferential treatment to Naismith, but there's a number of them. And, and, and this is a year where we could have multiple winners of that award. It's not like the Heisman. Uh, it's just, it is what it is. There's multiple awards. And you get multiple winners. So with that being said, cats ranks, I'm going to rank my top 10 player of the year candidates at this moment in time. And I will be joined by one of those Kings. Can't tell you yet which number he is. Maybe you can guess Kentucky's Oscar Sheebway. He has done amazing things on the backboard, and you are going to learn from him about why, why he loves rebounding. Also joined by Joel Lenardi, the original bracketologist from ESPN. We're going to go over a couple teams, um, teams that I think should be in, not just the eye test. I think they've earned it over others that might have better numbers. So we're going to dissect some notable teams and go over that. We are in the middle of February, uh, taping on Valentine's Day, in advance of Saturday's Top 16 reveal for the bracket. I will have my bracket on the website on Tuesday, ncaa.com. I will tell you that you certainly will see, I think think I'm going to be pretty close to the 16. Let's just say that. I think you're going to see in this list, you know, I, I, I would say that Gonzaga is probably going to be the number one overall seed. That's my prediction. Uh, I think you're going to see one seeds, Arizona, Auburn, I think Kentucky, but it could be Duke. Um, it could be Purdue. could be Kansas. So the way I look at it, I got, Gonzaga, Kentucky, Arizona, and Auburn in some order. Two-line, Duke, Purdue, Baylor, Kansas in some order. Three-line, I think you're looking at in some order. Illinois, Wisconsin, Providence, Texas Tech. And then the four-line, Villanova, Tennessee, UCLA, Ohio State. Now, teams that could be in there, could you see in Alabama? Yes, got that win over Gonzaga and Arkansas just recently. Houston, even though they just lost two, they could be on that four line. 
I don't know if Texas or Michigan State, who I got on a five line, could be up in the four spot. So I feel pretty good about my top 16. The order may be off, but in terms of teams, I think I could get 14 to 16 at a minimum, maybe 15, possibly all 16, just based on where we're at right now in all that. So that's coming up Saturday, 1230 Eastern on CBS. Check it out. All right, let's go and discuss all of this, especially on the bubble with Joe Lenardi. And now joining me here on March Madness Men's Basketball, Joe Lenardi, ESPN's bracketologist, the original bracketologist, the founding father of bracketology, and my good friend. Um, Joe, so we are talking here the week of the top 16 reveal. So that's at the top of the bracket. We'll find all that out on Saturday and see how applicable it'll be uh, in less than a month. I want to talk about some sort of the back part, which is obviously a lot of interest in the back part of the bracket. So... I want to use Rutgers as an example. I've been beating this drum on Big Ten Network. Rutgers has six quad one wins, uh, which will ultimately be, even if they don't get another one, that will be more than a lot of other large teams uh, to have six quad one wins. Now, they've got three albatross-type losses on their back of Lafayette, Mm -hmm. UMass, and to some extent, DePaul. And those were way back in November. And we know body of work and every game matters. But at what point do you look at a team, assuming they can keep their head above the water, they got nine Big Ten wins. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, let's say they win at least three more games. So they're 12 and eight in the Big Ten with quality Big Ten wins, not all at the bottom. I mean, quad one, they'd they'd at least have another Mm -hmm. one. So seven quad one wins. What do you do with a team like that, that has a great, resume quad one and really from mid-January on, what do you do with them? I think that's an easy one, actually. If, if that's really the resume, three weeks from now, three and a half weeks from now when, when they gather the committee, Rutgers will absolutely get in. Uh, there, there's little doubt in my mind. It, 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 it's almost immaterial what the numbers are at that point because the resume will be uh, head and shoulders above most, if not all of the bubble teams in kind of their comparison group. Now, maybe I don't have them in yet. In fact, I don't even think I have them first four out quite yet. No, you had them next four out. Correct. But rapidly climbing. Right. And at some point, you know, look, if we were to talk about and I know where this is going, you know, they I was at the Rutgers Michigan game at the rack. Okay, they were clearly better than Michigan that night, and they may be better than Michigan, period. Yet right now I've got Michigan in a group ahead of Rutgers. And the question, how could that be? Right. And let's just say, hypothetically, I was at a Super Bowl event last night and there was a Rutgers guy at the event. So, you know what I heard for three hours? I don't even know who won the game. Okay. (laughs) But, you know, I said, just give it another week or two, because right now, like if somebody has a net of 30 and another team has a net of 40, that becomes kind of a distinction without a difference. But if it's 30 and 85, kind of like what the range is now, it, it then causes committee person to go, why is that? And then you see things like Lafayette and 
UMass, admittedly on the road, right? But, but you know, I've seen UMass. They're not great. Uh, I, I've seen DePaul this week. They're not great. But to me, Rutgers just did the one thing that can erase all that, and it's a huge road win, right? Like, if, if they played the East Regional at the rack, this team would be in the Final Four every year. So, um, and I agree with you, and I think also what we have to watch is, so this week, they play Illinois and Purdue. Mm-hmm. One's at home, one's a road. I wouldn't be shocked, obviously, if they lose both, but I also wouldn't Correct. You know, raise the panic flag if they lose both, because those are clearly the two hardest remaining games they have. So that's a good Correct. example of Rutgers that got to wait. And, and Steve Puckle's done a great job of, hey, it's March 13th, not February 13th or whatever. Let's just take it yeah. you know, slow. And I, I agree. Yeah. All right. So let me flip that around. North Carolina. At this moment in time, and things could change with what their teams do. But yes, uh, as of this weekend, they were winless in quad one. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and seven um, on North Carolina's good days. They look like an NCAA tournament team on their bad days. Yes. Which there have been many. They get blown out. Many. Blown out. So, like, how do you judge a team like that? Well, I'm going to say, in a way, the same thing about Carolina, but with a much different resume perspective. If things stay the way they are, there's also no doubt in my mind that Carolina will be in the tournament. In fact, let's just have fun right now and say that at 9 o'clock on Tuesday the 15th, we're going to have a first four game Carolina and Rutgers at the UD arena. In Dayton. I think people would watch that game. Yes. Um, I would watch that game. Uh, hopefully not with the Rutgers guy, but y- you know, when I look at Carolina, I do think that, y- you know, look, people get sick of hearing resume talk, right? This is about basketball. It's pretty lopsided right like like it tilts way to the right hand side of the sheet because they got nothing on the left in quad one but then they haven't lost any other games right like they last time i looked at the exact breakdown they were undefeated in quad two three and four and there's something to be said for that right and 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 you're right i test wise and i've never been never will be strike it from the lexicon i test person right like we we play games for a reason and they keep score so it you know my argument on oh but that team has three lottery picks you know is always well why didn't they win more games right <laughs> like it's not a hard but forget about that carolina is going to do just enough to get in i suspect they'll be above the first four uh rutgers to me is a perfect first four kind of team because their resume is going to be checkered. Now they could play through that and move above it at the Big Ten tournament. Like they, they could move up two seed lines in 36 hours. Yeah. Hey, what if they beat Illinois and Purdue this week? Oh, well, if they beat Illinois and Purdue next week, you're going to call me next week and I don't know, ask me about Minnesota or something. But, you know, the ACC, in my anecdotal observation over the years, has an extraordinary way of having games go exactly as they need to get bubble teams in. And, and I, that's not a conspiracy theory. I, I, I don't believe in any of that. I just have noticed it. And they've got teams, you know, you know, Miami, Wake, Carolina, Virginia making a push here. Notre uh, Dame. Virginia Tech has good numbers. 
uh, yeah, Notre Dame, you know, we were talking about, oh, three, two ACC bids, whatever it is, they're going to get five, uh, maybe six. I agree with you, John. Last- I'm not saying I. that's how I would do it. I'm right. just saying that's what history tells me is going to happen. So last two things, and I think we, I know we agree on this, but I want to hear it from your lips. Good example of like BYU versus Memphis. Okay. Mm. Memphis, as we're talking here, won five in a row and they beat Houston, the best team in their league. Okay. That's on the, the road. On the road. BYU hasn't come close to Gonzaga so far, lost right. at home to San Francisco, and is in a bit of a tailspin. You know, I had to basically, well, they lost, I think, to Pacific yeah. and they had to go overtime to oh. beat LMU. And while their numbers say, hey, not bad, you know, at some point, you got to beat the teams that are going to be in the field from your league. And and, and to me, it goes back to the Penn State-Nebraska example in the Big Ten a few years ago. The year the Big Ten only got four. Penn State-Nebraska finished five and six in the league, had winning records. And at the time, Tim Miles and Pat Chambers were like, hey, wait a minute, you know, we finished top six in the Big Ten. How can we not be it? That gets us in. Right. Problem was, neither team beat a team above them. All their wins Correct. were below them or against each other, like all. And at some point, you have to beat the teams that are going to be in the field. And so if you were to give me Memphis and BYU, looking at them together, I'd say Memphis in, BYU out, even if the numbers point to BYU. Your thoughts? And at this very second, as we speak, I have BYU as the last team in and Memphis as the first team out. So, like, in a way, we're agreeing in that they're that close and clustered, right? Body of work, you know, we we could, there's no wrong answer. Right. Right. This, This is why, you know, all of us who do this, you know, reasonably well, go 67 for 68 every year, right? Because like that last couple, it really is a coin flip. And I, I like if, if the real bracket came out today and it was Memphis instead of BYU, I would not pitch a fit. Well, and I'll tell you, in my bracket at the beginning of this week, and obviously I'm, you know, I'm a poor man's Joe Lenardi, if anything. Oh, um, but, but you're very <laughs> no, I had I had that the reverse. So I had Memphis, I had Memphis in my first four and I had BYU as the first team out, you know? Yeah. And, and I get it. And And, and in large part because, you know, because of the Houston win. Yeah. And, and I get it. Uh, I was looking more at the aggregate with BYU and consistency and away from home and all that. Look, BYU goes to St. Mary's on Saturday night. Okay. They need to win to stay in. And that's the way it should be. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and both of these teams are so close. What happens, you know, if if Northern Iowa wins at Loyola yesterday, and they did not, but they would still have the Valley's AQ. And then, you know, Loyola, if they're still in at large on the board, and, and most people still would have them there, maybe double digit C, but in, well, that's a spot, right? And somebody grabs it from them. Or the reverse is true. Houston losing to Memphis gave SMU the AQ yes. as the co-leader tiebreaker, and that bumps somebody out. Yep. So, like, we don't know what's going to happen this now to Chattanooga and Murray State and 
Davidson and whomever. Uh, there's, you know, it, it, is there an Oregon State or an Oregon in the Pac-12? Like there's a tournament that the last few years on Saturday night is, is, is the latest, sneakiest bid thief of all. Like, yes, there's no greater bid thief when everyone's asleep. Right. And the, the fan bases wake up on Sunday morning and go, what did that idiot Lenardi do overnight? Where's my team? What well, didn't have anything to do with me? Blame, you know, trust Tinkle or whomever. He was here before. Anyway, uh, Joe, I appreciate right, it. Whatever. Uh, we will be, uh, I'm sure, discussing this over the next month. Uh, and uh, as always, you know, you're going to be, you're like you said, you're going to be 67 of 68, if not 68 of 68. Well, I hope you're right. From your lips and uh, stay well, stay safe, my friend. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. Now it's time for Cats Ranks here on March Madness Men's Basketball. My top 10 Player of the Year candidates. Good time to do this uh, because our National Player of the Week on this podcast, Oscar Sheeway. And guess what? Let's start at number one. That's where we find Oscar Sheeway. His numbers are ridiculous. Uh, and that's why I firmly believe he right now is the National Player of the Year. So he checks in at number one. At number two, Johnny Davis from Wisconsin. Now, Johnny's numbers are not as good as Oscar's in terms of his consistency, and he's tailed off just a little bit. Oscar with the double-double and trying to get to 20 boards and all that, but Johnny's importance to Wisconsin cannot be understated. And the only reason the Badgers are in contention for the Big Ten title is because of Johnny Davis. At three, Ochai Abaji from Kansas. Um, Jayhawks are leading the Big 12, and Abaji's had a All-American type season. Full stop. Number four, Kofi Coburn, Illinois. Kofi, when he's on, when he's healthy, dominating presence. Just absolutely just dominating. So he tops, um, he checks in at number four. At number five, EJ Liddell from Ohio State. I have gone all over the place with EJ, and now he is playing like a first-team All-American. EJ, I know you, you were a little miffed at times and I didn't have you um, this high up. Well, guess what? I got you here now. <laughs> you have played it. You've earned it. Uh, great performance in the win over Michigan. You're in the top five. First-team All-American in my eyes. Number six, Keegan Murray. Ridiculous numbers for Iowa. And he is playing like first-team All-American. I think he deserves to be right off the bat at the top of the second group. At number seven, Jabari Smith from Auburn. Now, his numbers have not been like crazy, but his ability to alter shots, to force opposing teams to cover him in a variety of ways, basically has ensured that Auburn is going to be near the top of the SEC and in the country. At number eight, Drew Timmy from Gonzaga. Chet Holmgren's having a really good second half of the year. But listen, Timmy uh, has been as consistent as anyone. I think he, you can make an argument for first team All-American. I have no problem with that. I think he's in the second team for sure at this moment. But, um, and maybe he still could play, win player of the year. But clearly he's having an All-American season. At number nine, Jaden Ivey. I've wrestled with, with which Purdue player to put up there. But Ivey's had player of the year moments. The way he finished off their game against Ohio State with the buzzer beater, and then Sunday helping them come back against Maryland. And number 10, Benedict Mathurin from Arizona. Arizona's had a phenomenal season. He deserves to be on this list because of everything he has done for the Wildcats, leading them in scoring, and Arizona right now looking like a number one seed. 
So, at this moment in time, here in mid-February, those are my top 10 Player of the Year candidates. And now joining me here on March Madness, men's basketball, Oscar Shibwe from Kentucky, uh, my National Player of the Week. Congrats. And right now, my frontrunner for National Player of the Year. I know we still have a ways to go. Uh, but Oscar, you are having a phenomenal season. Uh, first off, mm-hmm. what were your expectations of what you could accomplish this season at Kentucky? This is the, my place. I came out this year and said, I'm going to give everything I got to help this team. I told Coach Calipari, I can score, but like, uh, that's not what I'm here for. I came here to try to go collect all those rebounds, the missing. I said, you got to tell your players to shoot the ball. Like, even they don't make them, tell them to shoot. I'm a, I'm collect, I'm going a, I'm to a rebound it. So I came here, I told him at the beginning of the season, I'm, I'm trying to have a 20 rebound. I'm still a little bit opposite because I'm not uh, like I'm not even close to 20 rebounds yet. But I think we got a couple more games. I think I can bring it up probably like 16 or 17. Also, I'm here. I'm so happy for what I'm doing right now. And I'm so grateful, thankful, lot to God because God is helping me a lot. Yeah, you are just having an unbelievable season, as I said. Um, the art of the rebound. Uh, you have perfected it in college basketball. I can't remember another player and I've been doing this a long time, that has been able to rebound as effectively as you have been, and then, of course, score. But what is it about the hunt for that rebound at either end of the court that you absolutely embrace? Uh, one thing I will say, first of all, need an effort. You need an effort. You need a 40-minute effort if you really want to help your team to win. And the second thing is a vision, too. Don't just look a ball when somebody's shooting. You got to go position to the, at the place when the ball is going to come in your hands. If uh, you are waiting there, that, to get to that place, you need a lot of effort, you need a lot of fight because people are not just going to let you go, say, go get in that place. For me, I just fight. I know when somebody shoots, I don't look a ball. Most of the people, they just look a ball. When the ball bounces, then they try to go chase and go get it. No, you got to have the vision, say, He's shooting from there, like probably like 50% is going back that way, 50% is going this way, so I gotta be in the middle. If you go back that way, I'm chasing. If you go back this way, I'm chasing. Or if he's, he's shooting in the opposite corner, I gotta position myself and yeah, like in the place where 75% basketball might go and 25% is going back. It's about position yourself and uh, effort, like I said. Even sometimes my teammates say, Oscar, you don't do nothing. Basketball always come in your hands. Basketball find you whatever you have. I say, you don't know trick. There's the one thing I do before basketball find me. So I, I, I put in myself in a place where basketball is going to say, Oscar, here I come. So, <laughs> so I love that. Um, and I'm curious, based on what you just said, mm-hmm. when you guys are prepping for a game, how often are you really watching where your opponent is shooting from and how their ball comes off the rim? All the time. All the time. Because if you see me, every rebound, I go for it. I got like a lot of attempts because uh, I would rather to get more rebounds than score. I would rather to go zero points but finish with 20 rebounds. So like I'm good. It, like the day, it was one time I went like two for 10, two for 13. 
And by her grabbing like 18 rebounds, I was happy. Coach, you say, Oscar, you suck today. That's I know, but I can't do what I always do. That's not what I do. Like, I'm not scoring. Like, I can score, but like, rebound, that's my, that's what I, I'm here for. I want to accomplish my goal. But I watch it all the time. Every time somebody shoot, every time I see the bush, every time I see somebody release, I'm running to the place where I know the basketball is going to find me. So I think about in the NBA, think of players like, obviously, Dennis Rodman, Ben Wallace, uh, you know, players from in the 90s and early 2000s that were great rebounders. Who, who are the players that you've seen at the professional level and say, you know what, that's the kind of rebounder I want to be? Dennis Rodman. I just buy his jersey. I got a jersey. Uh, I'm wearing that to the game, maybe single game. Um, Dennis Rodman. That man was a rebounder like him because uh, he knew, and I watch him a lot, how he used to go rebound. He use he position like I do right now. He he don't just go chase the ball. He go to the place where the basketball is gonna find him. And when the basketball is gonna find you, do not let anybody push you. Do just stay right there. Somebody's coming. Don't let them push you. And uh, basketball is coming up. You just go up and down. The people trying to reach, they're gonna get fouled. So I watch it, Dennis Rodman. Hey, last two things. I'm curious. First of all, um, you know, you came to Kentucky a year ago. And sat and like you know you didn't play right away um, yeah. when you transferred from West Virginia. How much did that help you that you were able to sort of get used to Coach Cal and the, and everything about Kentucky rather than just sort of transferring and being thrown right in? Uh, that really helped me a lot. From when I came to the middle of the season, see possible uh, my English was not good. The one of the things I struggled with the most even West Virginia back was uh, understanding the players to remember all of them. So when I came in, thanks to Bike like January last year, it really helped me a lot because they were, we were practicing. I get to learn the players. I get to learn how to move. The coach helped me a lot. So this year, I don't need to remember no players. I already know all of them. I already know how they're playing. So like it really helped me a lot. So every time they call something, I know what it is. I gotta go for it. That's why I have no having no problem in the basketball court. Like the coach told me, play basketball. Just enjoy your moment. Shoot the ball. You rebound it. You get 20 rebound, man. Do you think I care if you miss a basketball? You gotta go get it. Shoot it. Do anything like that. So I have a lot of freedom here. And I just play basketball. I'm enjoying my time. I have a great happiness. And I love this group of people. We care for each other. Like we are we are blessed. Well, Oscar, I, first of all, I love talking to you. I love learning you know, about you here and, and what about your craft and uh, all I've heard is just wonderful things about you. But the last question about this team, because you're having a great season, but this team is now coming together and playing great. Why is that? We are together. We care for each other. When somebody's not doing good, we help each other. We talk, slow down, we good. So like today, if it's my day, listen, today Oscar's doing good. We need, if they're not stopping Oscar, let's keep sending the ball to Oscar because we need it to win. Then there's another day, it's a shooter. Might be Kellen, might be Keon. So, so it's not like, I got to get mine. This team is about, we got to get win. Then we're going to care about the rest after. And uh, we move the ball really good. We can run the floor. I don't think there's a team that can really run with us. But like as me, as a big man, um, they can run with me. I think probably for like first half or second half, I don't think they're going to stay running. 
Like I ran for 40 minutes. So we are together and we love each other. We here play like brothers and brothers and we do things together. We don't have the ego things in the team. We know everybody, if you're in Kentucky playing here, you are a good player. You're here for one reason, to help this team win. And this team, you get, you help this team, and this team is going to help you to get what you came here for. So that's why we are so good and what we do right now. And uh, I cannot wait to see what we're going to end up by doing. Well, Oscar, uh, wonderful talking to you. Uh, you're having a wonderful season. And I know it's going to continue. You're in position, like I said, to potentially be the national player of the year. If you don't, you're an All-American. It doesn't matter. You're having a great season, a great addition to the University of Kentucky into college basketball. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness Men's Basketball. As always, big shout out to Abby Stoltz, our producer, everyone at Bleach Report, Warner Media. NCAA.com, they do a great job of repurposing this podcast. All right, so remember, Saturday, Top 16 Reveal, CBS, 12.30 Eastern Time, and we'll go from there, because then the tournament's basically three weeks away from Champ Week, uh, and Selection Sunday, March 13th. We are less than a month away. Thanks for listening, everyone. March Madness 365 with Andy Katz, presented by Grammarly. AI seems to be all over the place, but with so many options on the market, how do you know what is good for you and your business? AI is no longer a plaything. It's a business imperative. Companies that already use AI for writing are making gains. If you want to beat the competition, you need an AI writing partner you can trust. One that will help you generate not just more content, but better. Grammarly saves your company from miscommunication and all the wasted time and money that goes with it. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that gives your team an instant first draft or the perfect last word written in the company voice and tailored to their audience and goals. When every doc, message, and email your team writes is clear, compliant, and on brand, everything gets better. Inbox numbers drop, customer satisfaction scores rise, and companies can save 19 days per employee, per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly, easier said, done.